Good morning. Faith connects us to God. At least that's how things are supposed to work. Frequently, though, relative to connecting us to God, it seems like our faith comes up short. We don't seem to be able to reach Him. And in this series, we're going to talk about how to span the gap that seems to exist between God and us. And we're going to talk about a four-step approach that will turn our face toward God. And if you practice it, will help you to help us to draw closer to him. Four steps, we're going to take one per week. First is I look at me. That's what we'll talk about today. Secondly, you look at me. Third, you speak to me. And fourth, I speak to you. It goes from I look at me, then I think about you look at me, then you speak to me, and then I speak to you. And by the time we get from I look at me to I speak to you, the steps that we take help us to connect with God, help us to open our heart to him. And we'll take one per week. Today we're going to look at I look at me. When it's things about I look at me, it's not talking about looking at ourselves in a mirror or looking at our actions, but looking at our thoughts and our attitudes, looking at our beliefs, not our behaviors. That's what God looks at. And so it's what we try to acclimate ourselves to look at as well. It says in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. We naturally look at things. When we look at ourselves and we look at others, there's things that we want to make sure that we catch. God does not look at what we look at. When we're seeking to find evidence of spirituality or something that seems right, we look at X, but God looks at Y. It says people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, which means it's good news and bad news. You might look like a mess on the outside, but God's looking on the inside. Or vice versa. Uh, it's difficult, though, thinking about looking inside. It's very difficult to accurately assess what is happening within. Difficult to see ourselves. I look at me would seem to be straightforward. It's far from straightforward. The most difficult step of the four, I believe, is this one. I look at me. Um, interestingly, um, God gave several individuals some insight, insight into the state of the soul, and neither believed in Jesus while he was alive, and both of them spent time with him. James, Jesus' half-brother, would have grown up with his brother Jesus. And when he became a believer after Jesus died and rose from the dead, I'm sure he thought back to a lifetime with Jesus and he didn't see. And I bet you he spent some time thinking about that. Why didn't I see that? What was it in me that caused me not to see that which was right before my eyes? And so James then, 
went through enough time that I think he's able to help us because he had to think of his own unbelief, and he can help us with our unbelief. Another individual is who are in the same place as Paul. He was Saul at the time, and he would have known about Jesus, and he would have had lots of opportunity to hear about what Jesus did, and then when Jesus knocked him off his horse, he had to think of his own unbelief as well. And so these two individuals, um, they help us to understand what's within. Uh, look at your worship folder. As we think about the war within, we'll begin with James. Read in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill, covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? James is known for his wisdom. He's known for a couple of things. He was called camel knees. He spent a lot of time in prayer. He's known for his wisdom as well. To see deep within to the, the nature of things. His letter in the book of James is very practical, but in some places very deep. He gets to the root of the conflict that exists within Jewish Christian house churches. Um, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? That's the question he asks. What causes fights and quarrels among you? There's fights and quarrels happening within these Jewish Christian house churches, and he is asking the question, why? And then he comes to have a very penetrating observation of what was happening, why there was conflict between them. And this is what he says. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What causes fights and quarrels between you? He says, doesn't it come from your desires that battle within you? And what he's suggesting? Interpersonal conflict comes from intrapersonal conflict. The conflict between us really is generated from the conflict within us. There is a war within. Because there's war within, there's war between. If you think about that, I'm sure as individuals read this letter or heard it, that's interesting. We wouldn't think of that, would we? What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's what he did. It's what she said. It's what that person failed to do. The reason there's fights and quarrels among us is because of... But what he says, it's not really about us and other people. Fights and quarrels are generated from within. That's what James would indicate. There seems to be a profound wisdom here. James had to live with his own resistance. I think because he understands that he helps us understand. He had to live with himself. He had to think, why? What happened? He was right there. Why didn't I get it? Why did I fight him? Why did I want him to scurry off into Jerusalem and get out of my hair? He was he was God in human form, and I resisted him. How could I have done that? And when he comes to believe and he see, you know what it was? The fight between me and my brother Jesus? 
wasn't about me and Jesus. It was about me and me. It was about what was happening within me that ended up impacting what happened between us. Interesting. James says, the problem is the nature of the relationship between the desires inside. We tend to think the problem is the nature of the desires. I have good desires and I have bad desires. If I could just get rid of the bad desires and just keep the good desires, I'd be fine. It's the nature of the desires. I have bad desires inside. What James says, no, it's, it's the nature of the relationship between the desires. These desires are fighting one another inside. They're warring inside. Now, some might be better and some might be worse. But what James says, that's the problem. It's not that there's good and bad. It's that these desires are warring inside me. And because they're warring inside me, that's where the war between me and others comes. The Bible is... It, it really highlights our relationships between ourselves. We tend to line up spirituality with morality. And that's a facet of spirituality. But the Bible stresses our relationships, what happens between us. When we look at what breaks down between us, it's because of what happens within us and its desires that, that conflict. The war inside begets the war outside. Um, so what James says the problem, as he looks at himself, war with him. If the problem is bad desires, okay, if the problem is that I have bad things in me, the war must escalate, right? The war must escalate. I need, I need to wage this war until the good Defeats the bad. Would you agree? Right? But if the problem is the war itself, then the war within doesn't need to escalate. It needs to de-escalate. It needs to stop. Because the battle inside causes the battle outside. That's why we rage. That's why we get contemptuous. That's the problem. War within. We police our desires. I shouldn't think this. I shouldn't think this. I shouldn't want this. I shouldn't feel this. I should think that. I should want that. I should do that. And we police our desires. I want that. No, you don't want that. You want this. And this is happening within us. No, I don't want this. I want that. And this goes back and forth. Um, this fight drains us. Do you know where a lot of our weariness comes from? The war within. We want this and we don't think we should want this. We try to make ourselves want that. And it happens for a time. But it takes a long time to try to line our desires up so that they are where we want them to be. These desires pop out of nowhere. We just 
acclimate ourselves to think this, and then we start to think that. And that's the problem. We, we don't want the tension, so we try to shut up one set of desires. And we're not very successful as that. By the way, do you know where we end up going? Because of this war of desires? That's where addictions come from. If I, if I get loaded, I can lose contact with the war for a bit of time. I can let go of it. And that could be all kinds of addictions. Food and alcohol and religion can be an addiction. A place where you go to try to get your desires lined up. Um, we resent having to wage this war. We don't like it. By the way, what James is suggesting, when you look at you, what he would say, there's war inside you. That's what he saw. And that's what he would tell us is within us as well. I look at me. There's war within. We want to be at peace, but it's not so easy. God puts a spirit inside that envies intensely. Look what it says. Uh, do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? Envies intensely. We've talked about it before. There's two kinds of envy, simple and infected. There's simple envy and infected envy. Simple envy is I want Travis's shirt. Travis has a good shirt on, and I want it. I like his shirt. I like his shirt better than my shirt. So that's simple envy, just wanting what another person has. Infected envy is when I stew on this for a while. Why does he get a shirt like that? And I get a shirt like this. And then you start to get, hmm, hmm. Envy starts to get infected. Start to develop an attitude. Oh, you think you're so good? Strutting up here, wearing that shirt, talking about social media, talking about your Twitter accounts. I don't know what a Twitter, I don't know, I've never gotten a tweet. I think you're so good, yeah, and you got that shirt and you start to stew with this. You know what? This is funny, but it isn't, is it? The things that go on inside of us. The contempt that we feel. See, what ends up happening is contemptuous spirit. We have unfulfilled desires and frustrated expectations. And you know what it means that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? We have a natural propensity to have to blame somebody, to have to assign blame, to be contemptuous of them. I know I am. I know I am frustrated. Well, it's because of me. We direct the contempt internally. I'm bad. We can, we direct the contempt externally. We have to blame somebody. Have to blame somebody. Um, and there's a couple. We direct contempt inside or outside. Uh, but if we're not pleased, somebody did something wrong. So when I look at me, what James indicates, there's war within. There's war within me. And there's war within you. It's a war of desires. It's not necessarily bad versus good, but desires that don't line up. And you want to make them line up, but they can't line up. And the tension that comes from having to 
manage this battle is difficult. So we, we blame ourselves for this war. We blame others for this war. There's war within. Paul will tell us there's weariness within. Again, Paul, he waged this battle for a while, and he comes with, in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through chapter 8, verse 2, arguably the most graphic, honest, and given the context in which he lived, amazingly insightful reflection on what happens inside in the entirety of the Bible. It is incredible what he sees. Look, look, let's read. Paul writes, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Or in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature of the flesh, literally, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. But he says, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Paul paints the same picture that James does. The, the picture of war within he says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. There's a place inside that I want to do what God would have me to do. I want to, for my behaviors and thoughts and attitudes to line up with what God's desires for me. And if that was all that was there, there would not be any war. But that's not all that Paul sees. He sees something else, and some individuals believe that Paul cannot be talking about a Christian when he talks about this level of warfare and intra-personal conflict. He is speaking of a Christian as a Christian. It makes no sense if he doesn't. It's, he's speaking as a believer, and he's learning something about how, as a believer, to manage the war within. The war within is not a non-Christian thing only. In fact, when you become a believer, the war within escalates. When you become a Christian, a follower of Christ, seeking to follow him, the war doesn't decrease, it increases until you learn, I've got to turn this war down. I don't turn it up. And that takes us a while. It takes us a while to learn that. Paul saw it. That's what he learned. Um, says, I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. James focuses on the external effects of the war within. And what he says, it creates war between us. Paul doesn't talk about the external effects. He talks about the internal ones. And what he says, wretched man that I am, who will rescue, set me free from the body of this death. Wretched describes somebody who has endured hard work or has suffered distress or hardship. 
to the point of being worn out physically and emotionally. Here's what wretchedness looks like. It's somebody who has attempted to master something, do something, and they are at the point of exhaustion. Why is Paul exhausted? Because of the war within. I want to do this, but I find myself trying, needing to do that, and he's at war with himself, and it is incredibly tiring for him. He understands that. That's what wretchedness means. He's worn out for the same reason James was worn out, the war within. He's at war with himself. He is aware of what God wants, and he wants to do it, but he runs into resistance to God's will. And when we run into spiritual resistance, there's a couple places where it can come from. Intellect, emotion, and will. Right? That's why we do what we do. Intellect, emotion, and will. What's Paul's problem? Is it intellect? No, he says he knows what God wants. So it's not an intellect problem. The war within, as Paul experienced it, wasn't because of ignorance. He knew what God wanted at some level. Okay. It must have been emotions then. No. He wanted to do it. He says, in my being, I delight in God's law. I want to do what God wants me to do. So it's not an emotional intellect, emotion, and will. Oh, it's a will problem. Sure. Paul's will is weak. <laughs> that must be it. And that's not it either. He, Paul's, listen to me, because this is what we see when we look inside. Paul's will was not weak. It was divided. It was divided. There's not one set of desires inside. There's two, and they're at war. If you have one set of desires, there's no war. If there's two sets of desires, there is war. That's what James says. That's what Paul says. As we look inside, there's conflict. There's war inside. Not understanding that this is a problem. We fan this war into flame. And when we do so, our fights outside and inside get worse. We become more contemptuous of others. More contemptuous of ourselves. More wretched. More weary. More exhausted. That's what Paul is saying. It's not a weak will, but it's a divided will. What does this mean? When Paul says, in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body. Make some statements, and this might seem extreme. I think it's a reasonable application of the text. We cannot have what we want to have. We cannot do what we want to do. We cannot feel what we want to feel. Why would you say that, Mike? Because what we want is divided. We don't want just one thing. We have two sets of desires. What we do is divided. What we feel is divided. We don't have the luxury of having what we want because we don't want one thing. 
We want multiple things. And that's where the war comes from. If we could make our desires singular, there wouldn't be a problem. There's not a war when there's just one set of desires, which you agree. If there's multiple sets of desires and they conflict, is there any way around the war? That's that's the question, isn't it? That's the question. Uh, we don't like the tension of dealing with divided desires, so we go to war within ourselves. We go to war within ourselves. This creates external warfare, as James indicates, and it creates internal wretchedness and weariness. This is what Paul tells us. This is difficult for us to admit. Some of us don't see it clearly. And the reason is we're blaming somebody. It's not the war within. It's they're not treating me right. It's not the war within. I am just a very bad person. It's not the war within. They are very bad people. And we have a tendency to rely on blame. But that's not what James comes to. Neither is it what Paul comes to. There's war within. Maturity means that we stop assigning blame for frustrated desires. Maturity seems to mean that we reconcile ourselves to the fact that we will deal with divided desires this side of eternity. We will not have what we want to have, do what we want to do, and feel what we want to feel. This is what Paul came to understand. That thanks be to God through Jesus. This is what he says. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other side, with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul's will is divided, and so is ours. That's what he indicates. I cannot be wholehearted. There's a church that says that we have full devotion to Christ. We cannot be fully devoted to God. Not possible. Not possible this side of eternity. Um, what's Paul's secret? How could he deal with divided desires? Because something happened. He, he was at war with himself, and then the war was de-escalated. How could he make peace? This is what he said. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know what Paul figured out? That God understood that he was at war with himself. And that God wasn't condemning him. You mean, you're not condemning me because I don't just want this, I want that? I'm not condemning you. Of course you want different things. You have two sets of desires inside. You mean... You're not angry at me? Of course I'm not angry. I understand. And when he stopped throwing, when he stopped feeling condemned, you know what he started to do? He stopped condemning himself. You know what happened? You know what happens when you decrease judgment? You increase self-awareness. Some of us aren't very self-aware because if something is against in us, what God would want, we push it down, pretend that it doesn't exist. Oh, I don't believe. I don't want that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. 
I could never say that, admit that. Why not? I have to fight it. Really? What are you going to get from fighting it? You know what you're going to get? External battle and internal wretchedness. Again, you say, you say Mike, wait, 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 wait. Is, is it really okay to just want whatever I want? No. How do we become the people God wants us to be? You know what we have to start with? Condemnation has got to be turned down. We have to look inside. We have to look at ourselves and be able to admit that things don't line up. And we're going to talk about this in upcoming weeks, but this is what it looks like. You know what, God? And we have to, we learn to be honest. Jesus said the problem with those who resisted his influence, remember what he said? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is, I'm going to put a word in here, the Pharisees were very devout, and they were completely resistant, almost to a man. There were some that, that cracked. Paul was one of them who saw. But most Pharisees were absolutely resistant to Jesus' influence. What in the world makes a person resistant to Jesus' influence? This is what Jesus said. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is... What in the world would that be? He said, hypocrisy. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Oh, I don't think that. That's what hypocrisy is. It's taking something, and rather than being honest with God and authentic about it, you push it down. And it seems that in terms of faith lifts, that we look at ourselves and admit the things that's real, that are real. There's war with them. We have multiple levels of desires, and we learn to admit these desires and say, you know what, God? I both want this and I want that. I both want to spend time with you and I don't. And we learn to be honest with him because when we're honest with God, he gives us the ability to understand ourselves. We express ourselves to God. And when we start to be honest with God, we start to develop a relationship with him and a trust with him. We don't just have the nice part of ourselves relate to God. All of us relates to God. I love the, the, the prayer in Alcoholics Anonymous, the step seven prayer. When a person comes to identify all the different things in their life, step four, they write an inventory about all the things that I wish weren't true but are. Resentments and fears and sexual actings out and then you say that to someone and then step six and seven you're willing and step seven here's the step seven prayer i said it before it's it's really wonderful my creator i am now willing that you should have all of me good and bad i'll talk about that in a second i pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me grace, strength, as I go out from here to do your bidding. And then you've completed step seven. You know what's what's brilliant about this prayer? He doesn't just, he doesn't separate things into lights and darks. Good and bad goes in the basket. The good things, all of it goes in, and it goes to him, God, I am willing you should have all of me. Don't separate into lights and darks. It all goes in the thing. 
I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my, my, what? No, it must be happiness. Every single defect of character that stands in the way of happiness. No, usefulness. Would you agree with me? The defects of character that stand in the way of usefulness and the defects of character that stand in the way of happiness are not the same things. There's things that might make us sad, but they make us useful. You know what God wants to do? He wants you to be useful. Useful. And sometimes we go through difficult things. We have to endure things that are difficult in order to come alongside other people who need to know what to do when they come alongside something difficult. And so we learn. We learn. Some of the things that makes us useful don't always feel good, but they do make us useful. And this is what God wants. All of it goes in. We don't separate into lights and darks, which brings us to communion. This side of eternity, as we look at me, and next week we'll talk about him looking at us. But step one, in terms of the faith lift, is I look at me. And this is the tough one. We tend to blame. But as we turn down condemnation and turn down blame, we start to become self-aware. We start to be able to know ourselves, to admit to him the different things that are true of ourselves. Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. It's possible to be divided, but not divided against ourselves. And that's where I think James and Paul are trying to help us to know. We're going to experience different things. Where does, it, where does communion come in? When you come to the table and take the bread and the juice, do me a favor. Take your anxieties with you. Don't just walk up there with the good part of yourself, the nice part of yourself, the part of yourself that's all clean and shiny. Jesus loves and died for you. Not just the good side of you. Jesus died for all of you. And you will, he will come and connect with you as you connect with yourself and as you connect with him. So, don't leave your anxieties up to the plate when you come to the table. You be everything you are because that has to be the way it is. As we come to look at ourselves then, and you've seen, remember the other. Here's where we're going to go. This is first. This is the difficult one. I look at me. What happens next? I look at me. You look at me. We're going to talk about what he's, he sees you. He sympathizes with you. He deals gently with you. And then he'll speak to you. And what he says is, be still. I know the war. I'm going to be exalted in the nations and on earth, and I will never leave you, and I will never save you. And then what he says, speak to me. I look at me. You look at me. You speak to me. I speak to you. Um, we're going to play some music. And come to the table. Um, take the juice and the bread. And think about his love and the fact that his love is completely understanding of who you are. 
and he loves you fully. Father, we really would like to continue to move into closer contact with you. Help us as we think about faith lifts, things we can do to move towards you in a more authentic, real way. I pray that you'd help us to understand and apply these things slowly. Relationships take time. But help us, give us a clear path so that we can do those things which will move us towards you. Look at ourselves. Understand what you see when you look at us. And hear you speak to us. And then we can speak to you in prayer. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.